Uh, my name is Joe Albert, and I'm a uh, retired, I guess, uh, faculty member at Gonzaga and uh, still teach for them and want to welcome you to this podcast. And we're excited about doing this. And the we is uh, my colleague, uh, Rebecca. And Rebecca, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Beck Burson. I'm a physician and psychiatrist as well as a veteran with the opportunity to further my education with the Organizational Leadership Program at Gonzaga, where I got to meet Joe in his storytelling course last winter. And I love working with neurons, narratives, and leadership. That's really good. I like that, actually. Just thought it out. That's good. Um, and the theme, my understanding for the podcast this year, uh, the whole series is around communication and uh, building com healthy communities. And uh, the kickoff today, we got lucky. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, our guest today is is Robert Sal. Robert is the uh, Human Relations Commission, works for Los Angeles County down here in Southern California. And uh, He's done just a broad range of work around conflict and negotiation and bunches of other stuff that I, I won't take time right now to explain. But uh, we're very fortunate, as Beck and I have gotten to know him. Uh, clearly, we've uh, gotten lucky uh, with, with our guests. So, um, Robert, let me just let you introduce yourself. Thank you. And it's good to be with you, Joe and Beck. My name is Robert Sowell. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And I do work with the LA County Commission on Human Relations. We've been around for a long time. Um, but our assignment is to bring people together across boundaries of difference. We deal with issues of prejudice, of hostility and conflict. Uh, we deal with issues of uh, justice and equity. And obviously, in building strong interpersonal and intergroup relations, communication is critical and conflict is common. Excellent. Thank you. And, and Robert, I'm just going to jump in with this. And in, in, in our in our sort of pre-conversation we had, um, there is a way that the, the folks that you work with and yourself have a way of thinking about conflict. And and my guess is a lot of listeners struggle with the notion of conflict. It creates anxiety, it creates some fear and, and so forth. So how do you guys, how do you think about conflict? Thank you, Joe. This is really, really important for us and our work uh, because what we do in response to conflict situations comes from how we think about it, uh, what we bring into the situation. And so we recognize that many people view conflict as a major threat to be avoided at all costs or ended as quickly as possible. And that, that when we come into a conflict situation, we most often come into it thinking competition. And so we're thinking in terms of winning and losing. And because that's the way we're thinking about it, that then drives how we respond. And it means that we tend to look for what we interpret as successful resolution 
uh, as taking the form of proving that I'm right and the other person is wrong or winning my side. Uh, and so um, we, we recognize that people are thinking about it that way. And because of that, uh, then many of the opportunities we have to find mutually beneficial resolution uh, and, and opportunities and alternatives that will be mutually satisfying, we don't even think about those options because that's not the way we're thinking about the situation that we're in. Um, but what, what we say to people is that conflict is when I think that what you want interferes with what I want. Now, there's a more academic way of saying that, but that's just plain, straightforward. It mean, It's what happens is what we're experiencing when I what I believe that what I want interferes with what you want. And that means that it's normal. It's normal in any relationship for people to believe at some point that what they want is being interfered with by the other person. And so conflict is the normal result of the friction that happens between separate egos that are sharing space and experience. How we respond to it is what determines whether it's problematic or beneficial. Okay. So if, if someone has a story in their head that, you know, uh, maybe from their own experience and childhood, whatever it is, but Conflict is really a, a emotional. It's distressing. It's it's people both wanting something and, and they're on opposite sides of the fence. Well, that's going to create a sort of an anxiety and and almost a desire to avoid it. Uh, how do you help people through that? It's certainly for almost all of us. Uh, conflict is is something that we don't look forward to. Uh, it is uncomfortable. And for some of us, depending on the situation and relationship, it could be a very intense emotional experience. And so what we talk with people about is, first of all, what I've just said is to, to recognize that conflict is normal. It doesn't mean that something unusual has happened. We should expect that it's going to occur and be prepared by recognizing that I'm going to there are going to be some things about how I'm feeling and what's happening with me that may interfere with us moving toward resolution. Most of us can think about a time when we faced a conflict situation and because of how we dealt with it, because of how we worked with the other person in it, on the other side of it, the relationship actually was stronger rather than weaker because of how we work through the conflict together. Well, we could do that deliberately. That doesn't have to be accidental. It doesn't have to be coincidental. We can recognize that if we will pay attention, be mindful of what's happening with us, recognize, recognize and be mindful of how we're dealing with it emotionally, be in control of the emotion. That doesn't mean suppressing them. But it means that we choose how we're going to express them, what we're going to do with them, rather than letting the emotions decide what we're going to say and what we're going to do. So that we're mindful of what's happening with us emotionally, recognizing that's also going on with the other person, and most powerfully, listen. Listen deeply, listen well, listen not to answer, listen not to judge. 
but listen first to understand and confirm that what you believe you've heard is what the other person is communicating and then to respond in a way that is is fully transparent and honest without attacking so there's a there's a sequence to that that i just mentioned being fully mindful reflective of what's happening with me recognizing that that's happening with the other person listening deeply uh, with empathy so that i get a sense of what the other person's wanting to communicate confirming that i'm getting it and then responding fully candidly without attacking so that that's a sequence that we actually train people in um and and using scenarios and role play uh, so that people begin to have uh, some practice in this because these are habits, right? The way that we respond to people in our relationships become habitual over time. So we have to learn new habits that re- that takes uh, practice uh, over and over again. Robert, I I love what you're saying because as a psychiatrist, it actually parallels the internal process of resolving conflict almost to a T. Yeah. We have these reactions that aren't responses that we have to be mindful to make the moment a little bit bigger so we can change it a little bit. And um, it makes me think about, you know, I'm always talking with patients about the primal part of the brain and the more evolved part of the brain and how the evolved part of the brain takes what we want and considers how we want to get there and sort of quells the fear. It sort of quiets the fear. And when you were talking about setting expectations that conflict is normative, that sort of dispels some of the fear. Yep. And I think about scarcity comp, uh, mindset and how when yep. we think that there's only enough resources for me yes. to be right, it again, heightens that fear. Could you just talk about the role of fear in the work that you do and how to sort of turn that knob down so that you can create the soil for these good productive conversations to grow? Thank you for the question. Certainly fear uh, fear drives so much of the other emotions that we deal with. Uh, and, and that takes many different forms, as you would know better than I would. But, but fear will um, cause us to want to uh, try to avoid something, or it will cause us to, write, to want to try to press it down as soon as we can, or um, it will... It will will cause us to try to somehow uh, think that uh, it's something we have to go around or over rather than go through. And so when we talk about managing those emotions, we're not talking about uh, suppressing them as you were talking about. We're talking about, and we use the language that you used, we talk about the difference between reaction and response. And so it's, it's it's about choice and control. Is the I don't want to deny the fear. Being mindful means I need to know that that's there. I want to reflect on where that's coming from. Because one of the things that is a challenge in conflict situations and many difficult conversations is that we make the mistake of thinking that whatever the topic we're talking about is the full situation we're dealing with. Rather than recognizing that whatever fear I may be feeling 
uh, or whatever other emotion I may be feeling in this situation probably is coming from other experiences I've had, maybe not even with this person. And everything I'm saying about myself is also true for the other person. So being aware of that helps me begin to recognize and hold that fear as real, but not in charge. And that's what I heard you talking about, the difference between um, letting the primal part of our brain run what's happening or the more evolved executive functions be uh, in charge as they can. That's what they're there for. Um, because emotion um, it can be so strong for us, whether it's fear or anger or disgust or whatever it is, um, we're, we're likely uh, to allow that just to um, lead us to react with the impulse rather than pause. I also appreciate what you said about that space, expanding the space. We talk about it the same way. We talk about recognizing that there's a space between what happens and what we do. And, and many times we don't fully use that space. We just react uh, rather than using that space, pausing at least internally, at least mentally to take control and make a choice about what we're going to do rather than just react. Love that. Yeah, I think Viktor Frankl, um, the Austrian neurologist yes. and uh, Holocaust survivor, said between stimulus and response, there is a space. Yes. That's and right. that space is our power to choose our response. Yep. And our response lies our growth and our freedom. I've always loved that. That's that. right. That's, that's the source that we draw from as well. Yep. Wow. Great. Thank you both. Robert, unless you were a conflict savant as a kid, I'm guessing you've you've had kind of kind of learn, find your way through you know uh, this material and, and this kind of work. Uh, what is your history with conflict? What's your story there? Yeah, it's not something that comes natural to me. Uh, it's not something that I learned uh, growing up. Actually, I learned a very different way of dealing with conflict growing up. Uh, my mother was a rageaholic. Uh, conflict was uh, a core experience in my family growing up. And so I came into adulthood um, deciding that uh, conflict uh, was something that did need to be avoided. It was a terrible threat. People got hurt uh, if you didn't avoid it. And so you needed to uh, try to escape it or suppress it or push it away as much as possible. I did not recognize that conflict is, is potentially a vast opportunity for strengthening relationships. And so it was out of recognition recognizing that that wasn't working as you know what I had learned growing up was not working uh, as an adult uh, that I began uh, to study and learn um, what are some other options what are some other possibilities um, and uh, be, uh, came to be trained formally as a mediator um, also a part of my uh, education experience is uh, social work and so uh, understanding what's happening with people and how to work with people in ways that are productive helped me to know how to work with myself as well. And my own personal faith journey also is at the core of where I've come to in terms of recognizing what I'm here for, how do I deal with life, and how do I deal with other people. So it is that combination of what not to do 
that I gained very early and then deliberate study uh, and just personal growth in faith that have brought me to where I am today. And I'm, I'm grateful uh, that I have uh, been able to get to this place and still have strong, rich relationships, considering how I started out. Yeah. Oh, that's impressive. And Beck, I'm going to take him a little bit into the work that he's doing now. Do you have any questions, sort of follow up on on his own roots and stuff? No, I guess I just had a quick thought, Robert, on what you were saying. You know, you've had these rich experiences and they've strengthened you and created meaningful connection. And how that meaningful connection is sort of like the fuel that allows this conflict work to happen. And just, just how important that is. Whether definitely your community, your community yeah yeah that's right um I, you know growing up in in order to survive emotionally i i got i was very um internal uh very um self-focused and um not really very well equipped for relationship but as most of us longing for relationship and so through trial and error learning that uh that has not always in my life um turned out best uh there is a, a broken relationship in my life that collapsed more than 20 years ago and it remains ruptured uh and that is a relationship that was at the center of my life for many years. And we're still connected through other relationships that are important to both of us. Um, but if I had not learned from that experience and to live with this unresolved conflict, I would have allowed it to consume the attention, the emotion and the energy that I need to invest in other valuable, rich relationships, which, um, make you know are, are really at the core of making life uh the the phenomenal experience that it can be that's great thank you for sharing robert can you speak a little bit to the, the scope of your work now i mean is it in a community is it in groups individuals yeah, the work that I do now is is more in communities and intergroup work. Uh, the Commission on Human Relations was came out of um, what occurred in the summer of 1943 in downtown Los Angeles. There were several days of open of racist open street fighting in downtown LA, and lots of different um, ideas and and conversations were developed to try to figure out what are we going to do about how people relate to each other. There was a committee formed in the county, which is what governments tend to do. They will form committees. Uh, but ultimately, we became an agency of the county, uh, the Commission on Human Relations. And our responsibility is to promote positive human relations. And so while some of the work that we do um, helps to support services that are available with people that are trying to resolve interpersonal conflict situations. And much of my own personal experience has been involved in that kind of mediation. Most of our work is to uh, bring people together across boundaries of difference to advance justice. Because if if people are not being treated equitably, then then whatever 
apparent peace there is, is very superficial and very fragile. And so deep, lasting, resilient, strong intergroup relationships require that people are being treated in an equitable way. And so we work with schools and youth serving organizations to equip students uh, to uh, bring people together and deal with the issues of justice. We have an ongoing um, initiative to uh, increase trust uh, among law enforcement and community members. We document um, reports of acts of hate, produce an annual report uh, for LA County, um, have services available to people that are targeted, lots of training to help people be aware of some of the issues that will drive people apart and learn how it is that we can collaborate with each other, even with people that we don't fully agree with all the time. Wow, that's quite a scope. And and you don't have the experience if you don't want, but you know, are there certain situations that you kind of dread walking into? Like, oh crap, this is a tough one, you know? Not anymore. Yeah, you know, um, early on, um, so so each of us has our own set of identities. Um, each of us uh, comes from uh, our distinct experiences, and and we we uh, identify ourselves and express our identities in a variety of ways. When all of us are fully embrace that diversity. Uh, we can do some things together. But when walking in the room, uh, people look at me and interpret my who they believe that I am uh, as being against them or hostile to them for good reason, be out of their own personal history. The, you know, there's there's fully understandable reasons why they might make those assumptions. But when that happens, uh, it, it, you have to work through figuring out how we're going to come get across those walls of difference and boundaries and build trust in order just to be able to have a conversation that's real and honest. Uh, and so early on, uh, that was a real challenge to me. And I, I would sometimes take personally how someone was viewing me and, and, um, and, and but then I came to recognize that it's not about me. It's about their experience, about their journey. I want to get that. I want to be clear about that so that we can try to have a conversation with each other. But I, I need to do that in a way that doesn't take on um, whatever assumptions might be making about me. And again, everything that I've just said about me is also essential for them, that, that they uh, I need to be careful that I'm not responding to them based on assumptions and bias. I need to make sure that I'm uh, relating to them in a way that's fully open. Uh, and and so early on, I would, you know, that kind of challenge would intimidate me. Now I think it's a great part of the adventure of living in a place like Southern California where everybody's different. We're all uh, different from one another. It's one of the reasons why we love living here. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I, it, this is a hard question, but when I teach a, a class called storytelling, I'll, I'll ask people about experiences of failure. 
you know, something just didn't go as, as planned. And, and, you know, what, what a lot of you don't like talking about it, but, but, you know, but there's also often lessons or gifts in, in, in the experience, you know, have you ever had an experience you would think of as, <laughs> as a failure? Yeah. Have I ever had any experiences as a failure? Is that is that the question you're asking me? So I don't think that we have near enough time to go through that full list. I, I did mention to you a moment ago um, a, a core relationship that collapsed and continues to be ruptured. And, and I share in the failure of that relationship. Uh, much more recently, uh, there was an experience when um, I needed to have a difficult conversation with someone that I supervise. And I was discussing this with my supervisor. And uh, my supervisor gave me some guidance uh, about how to do that, that I, I just didn't think was the way to go. But I didn't speak up. But, you know, I, I made a uh, kind of a slight comment about maybe, you know, there's another way to do this. But the supervisor, my supervisor felt pretty strongly that this was the way to go in this conversation. And so, you know, I conceded. Um, I, I didn't um, I didn't continue in the conversation to to try to be increasingly clear and about what I thought would be a better way to go and why. I conceded, and so then I had the conversation with the person that I was supervising, uh, following that guidance, and it did not go as it did not go well, it, even a little bit. Uh, it was uh, much worse than what I thought it might have gone. Um, and largely because of the approach I took based on the guidance that I had received. And, you know, my, the person who was supervising me at the time was offering this suggestion because they thought it was a much better way to have a more constructive conversation. Uh, but it turned out it, 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 what, it did not have that result. And I wasn't surprised but I view my failure there as not speaking up, not uh, remaining in the conversation uh, and, and speaking up to say, you know, there's, we really need to do something different. Let's keep working on this. Uh, now, these were relationships with people that I had worked with for quite some time. There were relationships of good and strong trust. And so we came through that. Um, and uh, we were on the other side of it, continued to have strong working relationships. But in the in the immediate situation, um, it did not go well at all and potentially uh, could have become a, a serious difficulty with our working relationships. But we were able to work through it. OK, wow, that's really helpful. Thank you for your honesty and and, and everything. And I. I, what I'm curious about, I think you answered it. I was, I was going to ask when, when something does go well, how do you sustain, maintain a healthy, fair, you know, transparent kind of relationship, you know, after you work through a difficult issue, you know, but I, I think that's kind of, you know, that sense of mindfulness and, you know, listening, you know, being inquiry oriented, I think with people confirming it, but anything else you would add to that? Um, listening with empathy, 
and then speaking because if if i'm not going to speak up if i'm only listening that's not a conversation so conversation means that the communication is going both ways so i want to listen with empathy and then i when it is time for me to speak up i'm going to speak up without attacking we we talk about people throwing u bombs we get into conflict, you always, you never, why don't you, if only you would, and that explodes and causes damage in the relationship. And so rather than that, we talk about um, describing what's going on f- with what some people call I messages and you know, saying, this is what I'm experiencing, this is what's happened, this is what I prefer, and inviting people then to work together to make it happen. So being candid, not sacrificing um what needs to be said but to do it in a way that is not attacking listening with empathy and then speaking up without attacking oh that's really helpful that's good yeah i love that and it it kind of creates two different camps of the fear and the scarcity and the you statements the attacking that's right is this other camp that, you know, maybe we're playing bad cop, good cop, and I get to ask the happy story now. (laughs) But um, if you think about this other camp, um, one way I like to think about it is the the late Irish poet, John O'Donohue. He says, Mm. one of the greatest longings of the human soul is to be seen. Mm. And so many of the things you're talking about is actually seeing another person. And that can be very vulnerable to be seen. And I wonder if there's a story that you would like to share that uh, illustrates two parties or two people that at first didn't see each other, but through the work that you get to do, ended up actually seeing each other. Now, when we do... Uh, when we do mediation work, it could be individuals, it could be between groups. And we worked with a situation where um, here in Los Angeles County, uh, in the north part of the county, there is a there's a public park uh, that's been there for a long time. And there's a section of that park that a long time ago was a gathering place for people to celebrate their culture uh, who were uh, of German descent. And and so they were celebrating culture. And and, um, for a long, long time, that uh, section of the park was named after um, Hindenburg, who is the person who uh, was the immediate um leader before adolf hitler and was instrumental in that transfer of power um well uh there came to be a group that rose up in the local community that was not of german descent that did not want uh, that section of the park uh, named uh for someone that represented what for them that name represented Uh, But for the people who had been connected with that space for a long time, it was very much tied into their culture, their identity, their celebration of who they were. And so when you attack that space, you're actually attacking them and their culture and their identity. So this is a pretty solid difference uh, of these two groups. 
Uh, we worked uh, at the invitation of the County Parks and Recreation Department, um, had kind of a hearing just to have kind of a public gathering where people came to share uh, their their different stories and perspectives of, of what was going on. And in that kind of a setting, the mediator's role, the, the person who's who's facilitating, their role is to help people hear each other. Because as you know, in conflict, people stop listening and they just focus on what they're going to tell everybody instead of what they need to hear. And so we increase the space, slow it down, uh, confirm back and forth what's being said, what's being communicated. Out of that, then uh, there was a work group form that represented the various groups that had different views of this. And there were multiple meetings with this group. Uh, it was a group of about 15 people, which is a pretty big group to try to work on resolution with. Uh, but with patience, uh, with diligence, and with the mutual desire to find a resolution, uh, we ultimately came to a resolution that everybody not only accepted, but celebrated. Uh, and so there was a uh, there was some additional signage added to that section of the park. Uh, the name itself was not kept, but there was some signage that was there that was added that was about uh, cultural history uh, that celebrated the cultural history uh, and all the people that came together. This was over a period of a few months, as you would imagine. Uh, but as I said, people not only accepted the resolution, they actually celebrated it. And so that's an illustration of the relationships now are stronger than they were before. These were people who didn't, they really didn't have any acknowledged connection with each other. They weren't in conversation. They were just um, having their conversations with themselves uh, and, and then talking at the other groups. Uh, and so we actually uh, cultivated uh, those relationships and built some foundation for strength where there were no real strong connections before with the resolution that was connected. This also is an illustration, by the way, that the surface issue is not the only issue. <laughs> that there are deeper issues that drive why people were frustrated and disappointed and angry and even afraid, and that we had to work through some of those um, deeper issues in order to come to resolution. Oh, I love that story. Thank you for sharing it. And, you know, you, you used the word rupture a few times and how well that word pairs with repair, rupture yes. and repair and yes. the strength and trust that can come out of that. And um, I think about that story also and how it turns fear on its head. Yeah. And that fear is the one thing that can really propagate these negative aspects that work against conflict transformation. But it also can be the thing that if we can identify it internally, can be what sort of blows apart everybody's defenses. If we can say, I feel scared yeah. that if this park is named this, then I am going to experience this or I'm going to feel this. It's not an attributional, accusational position, but a very vulnerable one. That's right. And, and, and vulnerability, that. you know, the vulnerability is what, increasing vulnerability is what deepens relationships. Yeah. 
Absolutely. It's trust. We say trust is the currency of relationship. So as we're increasingly comfortable with being increasingly vulnerable, we're deepening the relationship. But but that's what fear prevents. That's so I'm I'm just uh, resonating with what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I also think, too, about again, the, the parallels between the internal and the external work, um, dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT, as you probably know as a social worker, is a very effective tool for distress tolerance and emotional regulation. Yep. And this idea of being able to hold two opposing truths at the same time, you know, that's what dialectical yep. means, of course. And when we're able to quiet that fear and maybe even be vulnerable, our ability, I believe, really increases to see two truths at the same time. Could you could you speak to that if that has truth to you? Certainly. I, you know, I would I would resonate with that as well, that um, fear would cause me to defend. It would cause me to want to protect. And so I'm wanting to draw in and hold on to where I am. I want to hold on to my position, hold on to my interest. Again, that's the comp- a, a competitive approach. Uh, and it just prevents us connecting because I'm defending rather than building bridges, I'm building walls. And so um, it, the, the, the fears, it, if, I don't, if I don't want to accept both what I'm claiming is true and what you're claiming is true at the same time, then um, I'm I'm afraid that I'm somehow going to be wrong because it has to be this way or that way. But if I can accept that, what your experience is, is your experience. You know, what your perspective is, is your perspective. That doesn't have to fully agree with mine. We can find ways to benefit from each other's experience. We can find ways to benefit from each other's uh, perspective. When we talk about diversity, we talk about diversity as a phenomenally rich asset. And diversity, by diversity, I mean not only just identity, but I mean perspective, uh, experience, journey, diversity in all all of its forms. But we're not going to fully benefit from the advantage that the diversity offers if we're afraid and protecting. So um, our experience resonates with what I heard you say about that. Yeah. Well, and even what we did just a few minutes ago was dialectical in the sense of you could take the concept that fear is bad. That is a belief. And right. fear is counterproductive right. to conflict. Right. But we were able to demonstrate fear is bad. And fear, if we turn it inside out, can be the most precise way to move things forward if we can identify it. Great. Yeah. Well, yep. enough of this happy stuff. I'm going to go back to failure and shame. About shame. Struggle. Yeah. 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 But actually, we're running out of time, but this has just been excellent. Robert, any questions you wish we had asked? I really have appreciated the opportunity to be in conversation with the two of you, and I I don't have additional questions to suggest. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, you will get you'll get to hear it the final edited version of this, but I I get it. I mean, while you know people see you as an invaluable resource and. 
LA County is very in the community is very lucky to have you there. So thank you. So thank you. Um, yeah. So Beck, final thoughts, reflections. No pressure at all. <laughs> no, I just I'm so I'm so appreciative, Robert, for this candid conversation. And I'm just personally inspired and challenged trying to think about, you know, it's one thing on an organizational level. It's another thing within, you know, a business where there's a, a power hierarchy and we can kind of set examples and expectations of what we want. But in the real intimate space of friendships and neighbors and family members, you know, how can we actually take what we talked about today and take it to heart? Um, and you know, some words that are percolating to me, you know, to the surface is just the idea of wonder and curiosity, you know, you know, when we're at the conversation that could go awry, how can we pepper in words like, I, I wonder where this is coming from. I'm feeling this way. I don't know where that comes from. I wonder if you're experiencing that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I, I'm sort of passing the baton and that I want Robert to end it. Um, <laughs> this great conversation, but what would just be some practical linguistic things that you would offer for people to practically say in those conversations? Thank you, Beck. We, we actually, in our trainings, will use scenarios and, um, and model some ways to respond and then ask people to uh, practice some different ways to respond. And so um, the, there's a, there's a four statement uh, frame that we suggest. And the first statement is, what is it that you share with this person? It's probably not the immediate topic, you know, the surface topic, but there's some value. Uh, there's some underlying uh, aim or goal that you both share. It could be uh, something about um, we have a common desire for security. We have a common desire for uh, people to be treated well, uh, whatever, that we would find some common value and just state that. Uh, we, uh, what I'm hearing is that we both share and, and state whatever that is. The second statement then is some brief summary, just a, a single sentence summary of um, what it is that we see differently. And we encourage people to say it in a way uh, that is not uh, challenging, but is candid. So if, if I have facts that I'm ready in the moment to cite, then I'll say, well, I know that, or we know that, and I'll cite these facts. But if I don't have the facts, even if I know this for sure, but I don't have some supporting documentation or evidence, then instead what we encourage people to say is, well, my experience is, or my view is, or what I've come to see is, as rather than saying, but what we know or what I know is true. Uh, because again, that uh, 
potentially takes down the opportunity uh, for the dialectic that I heard you talking about earlier. The third stage, uh, the third statement in this frame is some specific action that we could do together. What could we do next? We want to move the conversation from debate about the past into what possibilities there are for the future. So the third statement is, you know, we could work on this together. Uh, do you have some ideas about this? I have some ideas, but we could work together on investigating information and facts and talk about it. And then the fourth statement is, would you be willing to work on that with me? And so... That's a very specific four statement frame for the immediate response after we've confirmed that we understood what the person is communicating. I love that. I think that's a great place to end. And, um, you know, I'm just pulling out all sorts of quotes today, but I love the, the Maya Angelou, we are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. Great. Excellent. Well, thank you both. I, this is like a home run. Geez, first time up we've done this and we got the best guests. So thank you, Robert. That great job. Um, next month, uh, the theme is intergenerational collaboration strategies for relationship building and um, I'll have to start reading stuff um, about that so I know what I'm talking about. At least sound like it. But uh, thanks for listening. And uh, we look forward to our next segment. And uh, again, Robert, great job. A real pleasure having you here. Thank you. And everyone, take care. Thanks.